The national title is set, but how big is the gap between Notre Dame and the teams fighting for that championship? Plus, is it CFP or bust for Notre Dame in 2024? It's all coming right up. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, so happy new year and thank you for getting your day started right here by making this your first listen of the day. I'm Tyler Wojak, and I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And today on the show, I'm going to be joined by one of my favorite guests, Tim Murray from VSIN, to recap the college football playoff semifinal games and discuss how far we think the Irish are from playing in a national championship. Then we'll talk more about Notre Dame's dominant win over Oregon State in the Sun Bowl because Tim was very close to the action. He was the sideline reporter for the radio broadcast and was all over the TV as well because he always seemed to be right around the play, and he's got some great stories from that experience. So let's get right into it. Tim Murray from VSIN is back with me here. And Tim, I realized the last time I had you on, it was just a couple days after the Ohio State game. And we were we were down in the dumps, man. We were, we were still licking our wounds. But now I'd say morale is a lot higher for both of us. So I'm really excited to have you back. Let's start with what everyone's been talking about these past couple days. The thrilling semifinal matchups in the Rose Bowl, in the Sugar Bowl. What were your biggest takeaways from watching those games? Um... I'm I'm sure I could start with the Tommy Reese side of things, uh, but you I you want to get into it right away? <laughs> no, I won't. Um, I, I thought Michigan was the much better team, and uh, I thought Alabama was going to sneak one out there. But I thought I thought the two better teams won, um, even though both games came down to the final play. And uh, I was really impressed by Michigan's defensive front and just the dominant. Uh, performance that they had on Jalen Milrow and that Alabama defense or Alabama offense. Uh, I was very surprised at just the mistakes that they were making constantly on special teams that clearly almost cost them the game. Um, and then I'll be honest, you know, I was, uh, I, I've, I've had my questions about JJ McCarthy and, and he, by no stretch was he, you know, Michael Penix, but uh, I, I was, I was, Moderately impressed uh, by J.J. McCarthy, and I know um, there there are plenty of stories out there talking about the previous regime wanting Tyler Buckner over J.J. McCarthy and, and how that's all played out. But um, very impressed defensively uh, by Michigan. And then, I mean, what's there to say about what we saw uh, in the Sugar Bowl from Michael Penix? I mean, that is that was one of the all-time performances. And I think for me, the takeaway I have on that game, in addition to you know the obvious of just Michael Penix being absolutely phenomenal in pinpoint and just everything that he did, his wide receivers were were out of this world. So uh, those are the two biggest takeaways for me. And you know I've gone back and forth, and I'm sure you'll ask me, but I've gone back and forth on, on what I think will happen. Uh, you know, down in Houston, I just don't know. I mean, I, I think. Your initial feel would be to take, you know, Washington. If you're talking gambling, take the points with Washington. Um, but I do think that that front for Michigan has the capabilities of, of wreaking some havoc. And, you know, we'll see about the health of uh, Washington running back Dylan Johnson. But, I mean, you know, from a Florida State standpoint, right, we, we, we had a lot of conversations there. And, um, you know, I, I think ultimately what I said on my show, Tyler, was – I feel bad for Florida State. I think they got screwed, 
but I'm happy as a college football <laughs> fan. And I think that bared out because we got arguably the two best semifinals maybe we've ever had. I totally agree with you on the Florida State thing. I think my exact quote after they beat Louisville in the ACC championship game was, Florida State absolutely deserves to be in the playoff. I really hope they don't make it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's easy for me to say I'm not attached to Florida State. They definitely got a raw deal. But the two games that we watched were incredible. I want to talk about the Rose Bowl for a little bit because you're right. It felt like once Alabama took that 20-13 to 13 lead, it, it felt like Alabama was going to get that win. And by no means did I think that they were the better team. And you think about all the mistakes that Michigan made, and there were a lot. And, you know, we talk a lot about the special team stuff, but they were making some bad plays on offense. Um, there was a pass on third down that went right through the wide receiver's hands for Michigan. There was fumbles on both sides, so a really sloppy game. But, you know, maybe that's what happens when you take a month off. But you watch that game, and it felt like whoever – was controlling the line of scrimmage uh, was in total control of that game. And that actually wavered a little bit, in my opinion. Like I felt like Michigan was dominating to start. Alabama took advantage in the third quarter, and then Michigan took control again at the very end. So that's sort of something that we become accustomed to. And then in the other game, it was just otherworldly quarterback play. So it's like we're seeing these different teams make it to the national championship, but they're doing it in a way that pretty much every team before them who's really made it far in the college football playoff has done. So do you think that Michigan's defensive line going into that game, uh, the national championship, do you think that they have the advantage uh, just because they're a more complete defense or more complete team overall compared to Washington? I, I think they do. Um, obviously, Washington, you know, won the Joe Moore Award um, for the best offensive line in the country. Um, and, you know, they've given up 11 sacks all year. And, and Michael Penix, who's not elusive and explosive, maybe elusive he is a little bit. He's not explosive. Uh, he's not a dynamic runner. Um, but he is so quick with his, his release. He can go from so many different arm slots. He's very smart. That's pretty clear. Um, with his decision-making and just, you know, his inability to get it out quickly. Um, so I, I do think Michigan has a, has an advantage there. Um, but, you know, and, and I don't know if this is something we, we were going to get to here, but, you know, watching Michigan and looking at them and thinking about the two times Notre Dame played in the playoff, and if you want to go back as far as the national championship, um, I, I felt like athletes obviously were the big, you know, differentiator uh, for the for the two teams that beat Notre Dame, Alabama and Clemson. But man, watching that game and looking at the way Michigan has done it, I I, I don't want to look at a two rose colored glass here, Tyler. But like Notre Dame could do that. Like Notre Dame, it, it, it's it's not like Michigan has been recruiting at a Georgia, Alabama, even Texas A and M level, right? It's 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 building the culture. It's sprinkling in some, um, you know, uh, transfers at the right time. JJ McCarthy's homegrown. Blake Corum's homegrown. Um, a lot of these guys are. So, you know, I think if Michigan does win the national championship, I mean, heck, even if Washington does, but more so Michigan, I think, I think there should be some hope um, from Notre Dame. And look, it might be a one-off year. I mean, hell. 2012, as 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 bad as that game played out, I mean Notre Dame was pretty close to playing Kansas State in, in the national championship, and, and they might be a national champion uh, if you know if they don't lose Kansas State doesn't lose to Baylor. So is it a is it a one off year where 
Alabama was down and they were able to pick off Georgia. Maybe it's very possible. Um, but I, I think seeing Michigan and the way they've built it as maybe infuriating as it may be for <laughs> Notre Dame fans, I think it should give maybe some hope and promise for Notre Dame, but man, I don't know what to expect moving forward now with this 12 team playoff. It's that if that makes it harder for Notre Dame to win a national championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think watching Michigan uh, in on New Year's Day out physical Alabama, it made you feel like, well, Notre Dame could do that. They could get, they could, they they've had physical lines and veteran lines before. They can they can make that happen. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for Washington, man, it's it's it's. I uh, I thought they would lose, uh, and then pretty quickly in that game, I thought, okay, they're even though they almost did blow it. Uh, with some unforeseen circumstances with the Dylan Johnson injury and then the, you know, the kick, kick catch interference. But I really thought, wow, uh, this team is, this team's the better team. Yeah, I agree with you on Washington and your point about Michigan. I'm glad you bring it up because I wanted to ask, you know, we talk a lot about, I say we, just as Notre Dame fans, anyone who watches the team, cares about the team, covers the team. We've talked about it at one point or another. How big is the gap between Notre Dame and the top teams in college football? And it feels weird to say, coming off a 9-3 and three season, that the gap feels smaller uh, than it's been in years. And part of that has to do with the teams who are in it in the national championship. Washington doesn't have a single five-star on their roster. Michigan only has two, and that's based off their high school recruiting rankings. So from that standpoint, I think a lot of people are jumping on and saying, oh, well, see, stars don't matter. I don't think that's true. I do think it's a bit of a one-off, and I think it's also dismissive of the talent on Washington's roster. They have three NFL wide receivers, three. They also have a quarterback who is 24 years old. Maybe he's been married twice, divorced. <laughs> like It's a little... It, it, I don't want to put too much into it and say that, oh, well, this is just the new normal. Like Georgia, you know, if a couple plays go their way in that um, SEC championship game, who's to say that they don't steamroll past Michigan and it's just the same old conversation? Like we're operating on the margins here, but I do feel like Notre Dame actually has a better chance of competing at the top. And it's not just this year too. Like TCU won a game. We all know how it ended, but TCU won a playoff game before Notre Dame did and before Oklahoma did, who had also been there multiple times. So I feel like it's crazy to say, but I actually think Notre Dame has a better shot of competing for a national championship, even in the 12-team playoff now, than they did it in years past. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, you, you look at Washington, for instance, as you alluded to, um, you know, you got a hit on some of those guys, the Roma Dunzes of the world, and and they blossom into these elite, wide receivers. I mean, Roma Dunze is going to be a first round pick. Michael Penix will probably be a first round pick and he's a grad transfer, right? You just, you got to hit sometimes, sometimes you got to get lucky. And I think, you know, as we'll get into the sun bowl and what we all watched and, and what I saw up close and personal is, you know, one thing that I, that I've kind of picked up on is that I feel like the depth of this program is really growing. Um, look, they, they, they were a massive disappointment at the wide receiver position, we all know that uh, Mitchell Evans goes down to injury. You have worries about the tight end position. So, yes, there are still concerns there, no doubt. But you know, I look at the running back position. You know, uh, Audric Estime, an all-time back in Notre Dame, you know, opts out. And Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love are right there to kind of what feels like just to step right in and, and pick up 
where they left off. Um, so you look at, you know, the defensive line, um, you know, I know Howard Cross is coming back and, and all these pieces are coming back, but you know, Cam Hart, uh, who I don't know where he'll be drafted probably late just because of the injury concerns, but you don't really have a, uh, a worry necessarily at the cornerback position, you know, maybe at nickel, um, which I know they're trying to figure out right now, but I feel like the depth is, is, is really building. And that's, that's what you need uh, for a championship caliber team. And then you, know, you got to get lucky, right? You got to get fortunate that, you know, a couple of these three stars become big time prospects. Hell, I mean, Joe Alt, let's remember, he, he wasn't a five-star recruit when he came to Notre Dame, right? I mean, this is a guy that blossomed, was thrown into an offensive line that was a disaster in 2021 and then emerged as what will be maybe the highest draft pick since Rick Meyer. So Notre Dame hit on on a Joe Alt. Like, you need to continue to hit on guys like that. But, I mean, you know, I, I do agree with you. Um, you know, they need to continue to hit on some of these special skill position players, which has always been a, a concern and an issue for the Irish. But, um, I mean – let's look at the wide receiver position for, for Michigan. I mean, it's not overwhelming um, by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, I, you know, I, I think next year, I don't know if they, they'll have a national championship roster, probably not, but I, I think there's really unique potential there. And if Notre Dame, you know, if Bo Collins hits or if Chris Mitchell hits or if one of these guys, you know, one of the youngsters hits, I mean, who knows what could happen there. So I, I think, as frustrating as it was this year, and we've said it a million times, whether it was the Ohio State game this year or whether it was the you know the Georgia game, the both of the Georgia games in the regular season, you, you know, oh, oh, so close. Yeah, it's true, but you know, I, I think I agree with you that I think there is a chance to catch up and Michigan and Washington being the national championship, while frustrating that Notre Dame is not one of those teams, and that's fair. I think Notre Dame, it should show that they're not that far away from potentially doing something special here if they keep up this momentum. And, and let's be honest, too, right? I mean, it feels like, Tyler, the NIL situation's kind of in a good spot. Um, you know, they're not getting everybody that they're going after. But, you know, look at Ohio State. Look at uh, look at Miami. Look at a lot of these schools that um, have a lot of NIL money. And Notre Dame went out and got Riley Leonard, um, and uh, so I, I think I think there's some promise there, and I think you could ten, pick it up in the tenor of Freeman uh, at his at his you know signing day press conference that it feels like this this program is at least in a healthy spot for now in 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 that front. Yeah, the conversation has certainly changed a lot ever since the first week of December when you and I were texting <laughs> like, "What the hell is yeah. going on?" When there was the exodus out of the wide receiver room. We'll be right back with Tim to talk more about how Notre Dame can get back to the college football playoff, but I wanted to take a moment to tell you about LinkedIn Jobs. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Speaking from my own experience, I know that whenever we're looking to make a new hire, we use LinkedIn because they do the heavy lifting. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% 
of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. We all know hiring can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be crucial to achieving your goals in 2024. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As much as it pains me to say, the Michigan model seems a lot more attainable from the Notre Dame side because even though Washington is an outlier in the sense that they're not one of the traditional college football powers, the way in which they're getting to the playoff is just not, or getting the national championship, I should say, is by having elite wide receiver talent and a quarterback who um, is going to be a first-round pick. Notre Dame hasn't had either of those things in a really long time. Me- meanwhile, Michigan, um, they're just doing it with physicality. And even yeah. they had to get lucky. Like, this is their third trip to the CFP, and they were the better team, like you and I have said already. And still, they needed some things to go their way uh, in order to win that game, including the last play of the game. So now I will ask you, <laughs> what did you think? of Tyma Reese's play call on fourth down. Uh, so initially I was like, wow, that that can't happen. You know, that's a terrible play call. And then when you watch it again, it actually makes some sense. And I think Jalen Milrow panicked with the snap being low. Um, you know, and and look, I am a Tommy Reese fan. I'm a Tommy <laughs> Reese defender. Um, but, you know, I think it was, uh, I think it was Tim Hasselback on SportsCenter who broke it down and froze it and said, you know, this actually is a really good play call. And the physicality of Michigan blew it up, right? They had a guy come off the edge and blow up a right guard into Jalen Milrow. I think there was a little panic with the low snap. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a couple folks that said you got to have more options. Uh, I do think the guy in the flat was open, but the the hole was there. Um, so, you know, it, it was uh, – I'm sure folks in Tuscaloosa are not thrilled with uh, Tommy Reese right now. Um, you know, I, for the most part, I think he can handle it, though. I mean, he's he's been uh, from he's, his time. He's at not Notre, new to this. <laughs> yeah, he's from his time at Notre Dame, both as a player and then as an offensive coordinator. But uh, I actually I thought it was a terrible play call, and I've come back and to say, yeah, you know what? It, it looks like it wasn't that bad of a play call. I think the execution just wasn't there. Look, uh, <laughs> I'm with you, and I don't want to make this a whole Tommy Reese thing. Like, look, it's really simple. If you didn't like Tommy Reese when he was at Notre Dame, there's nothing, there's no angle that you're going to watch that's going to change your mind. You're going to watch that play. You're going to see the results say, bad play call. If you're like you and I, who are more on the Tommy Reese side of things, let's put it that way, you know, we can point out that it was an RPO, that he actually had the swing pass. Do you trust Milrow to make that swing pass in that situation? Maybe that's a different question. Should he have trusted the offensive line in that spot when they had gotten dominated? But to me, I look at it as, look, low snap, probably the 12th bad snap of the day. And then when J.C. Latham gets moved back by that Michigan edge rusher, just simply bullied. uh, 360 pounds of him. Yeah, even if Milrow 
uh, kept his composure and tried to go straight and then cut left, which I think is what he was supposed to do based on the blocking. It, it, I honestly don't even think it would have mattered because Alabama lost that one-on-one matchup so badly on on the edge that there's really no successful play. But that's it. I just We had to get to it. Um, I know that the comments right now on YouTube are probably blowing up, so we are going to move away from that, and let's shift over to the Sun Bowl. Yeah. Um, you were about as close to the action as you could possibly get without putting on the pads, working as the sideline reporter for Bowl Season Radio. Look, as I know you're a lifelong Notre Dame fan. I saw your tweet. It was great. So just take us through what that experience was like for you. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, I am uh, I'm 36 years old. Uh, my dad went to Notre Dame. Uh, my sister went to Notre Dame. So uh, for those of you who are watching, you can see kind of right there. That's a, a game that I was at. Uh, Notre Dame beating Tom Brady uh, in 1998. Uh, so you know it's it's been in my blood my whole life. It is uh, it's a passion. It's it's honestly one of the things, Tyler, that um, you know I I've kind of put to the side being in the media business since I graduated college in 09. You know you kind of lose some of the fandom uh, in you. And for me, Notre Dame has kind of remained that little pure piece of fandom. Um, that is out there. And, you know, I've been fortunate. This is my third season working with Bowl Season Radio, uh, which is a pretty small company. Um, we we cover basically all the non-ESPN radio games uh, out there. And uh, I got hooked up with them two, uh, three years ago doing the Vegas Bowl because I live here in Vegas. The following year, last year, I did Vegas, and then I went to Idaho. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to know um, some of the higher-ups there. And um, I was doing uh, independence and and then Vegas again. And when Notre Dame got selected for the Sun Bowl, um, you know, I kind of made a pretty hard push to try to get me there. Uh, it was a pretty easy flight from Vegas to El Paso. And uh, they were they were cool enough to make it happen. And we kind of blew up the broadcast in the sense of making it as big as possible just because, you know, we had two ranked teams. I know ultimately uh, both teams had plenty of opt-outs and all of that. But, you know, to get there, to be in a, a unique setting like the Sun Bowl, um, you know, a vintage kind of old school stadium. Um, you know, the fans were, and we'll get into it, like the fans were awesome. I mean, the atmosphere was great. The weather was spectacular. I mean, it was perfect. 60 degrees, sunny all day. Uh, so really, it was it was a perfect day. I mean, I know in 2010 when Notre Dame was there, they had some snow uh, prior to a uh, kickoff there. Right? It's yeah, like a lot of snow, I think eight, nine inches, something like that. Nothing like that this year. It was absolutely perfect. And then, you know, I'd be down there up close and personal with the gold helmets. And they were wearing, of course, the the blue jerseys. It was it was pretty surreal. And, uh, you know, kind of a pinch me type of moment. And uh, and then once the game starts, you just kind of go into go into broadcast mode and and uh, you just you just do your job. But it was it was an unbelievable uh, opportunity. And uh you know, we'll get into the specifics of it, but man, it, it was something that, you know, you kind of dream of, and I know it was the Sun Bowl and, uh, you know, whatever, but, you know, for me, um, just to be there, be part of a Notre Dame broadcast, I mean, it's funny, I have technically been on a Notre Dame broadcast before uh, when I was a studio host for Navy, so I did three Notre Dame broadcasts on the other side, uh, and, and Notre Dame lost the first time uh, that I was uh, the studio <laughs> host for, for Navy. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting uh, situation to be a part of in 2016, uh, you know, tr- you know, being on the other side of that. But uh, I wasn't on hand. I was in the studio for that. So this was a whole different experience interviewing Marcus Freeman at halftime and, you know, interviewing J.D. Bertrand after the game. It was uh, it was really unique and, and awesome. 
That's awesome, man. And I've been fortunate enough to to watch some big time college football games on the sideline just through work at ESPN or Fox. And I've never been able to watch a Notre Dame game from the sideline. And maybe that's for the best because I don't know how I do controlling my emotions for that long. But it's a really eye-opening experience. And I remember the first game I ever was on the sidelines for, it was Ohio State, Nebraska, 2019. I was there with game day. And Nebraska, like, they were 2-0, maybe 3-0. It was very early on in the season. And the Nebraska faithful, man, they just they care so much about their Cornhuskers, even though they really haven't had a whole lot to cheer for. But at this point in time, like, it was still too early. Their hopes had not been crushed yet by this point. And there were so many people at the game. And then I'm on the field, and I watch Nebraska come out, and they're warming up. And I started watching Ohio State warm up, and I was looking at the Ohio State offensive line, and I was looking over to the Nebraska side, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. Like, this yeah. is this is not going to be close. And sure enough, it wasn't. I think I left that game before halftime because Ohio State was up 35 to nothing. But with that in mind, like, as you're watching Notre Dame and Oregon State warm up, did you get any indication that Notre Dame was going to dominate in the way that they did? Um, you know, I had a, I had a hunch uh, – even like a couple days prior, just thinking more and more about the game and like, all right, Notre Dame's without Sam Hartman, Audric Estime. Okay, who's stepping in? We didn't know about Steve Angeli, but okay. You know, Charles Jagasaw is going to fill in for Joe Alt. Okay, uh, these are all big t- – and then I just thought about Oregon State side, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I just – you know, you don't know. And then the more and more I thought about it, Notre Dame's defense was relatively intact, and I just – I thought Oregon State was going to be shut out. I, I just – and they basically were – until the very end. There wasn't a moment though, pregame that I kind of got that. It was more of a, I thought it was going to happen more or less from the jump. Um, You know, it's funny you mentioned that though, 2012, uh, the national championship game. I was there with my family and uh, we had uh, seats on the field. They like put up temporary seats on the field um, and they were like partially obstructed view. um, Did you have a pole in front of you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was we were just <laughs> maybe that so would have been low. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no. And then it was, but to your point about Nebraska, Ohio State, me and my brother-in-law looked at Alabama coming out in Notre Dame and like, uh oh, this is uh <laughs> this this doesn't look like uh, it's gonna work out. But uh no, I mean, you know, and I'll tell you what though, Charles Jagasaw, um, I know he was, you know, dealing with some injuries uh preseason and I think he had surgery. Um, that is an enormous human being. Um, so I think there's uh, understandably uh, excitement around him on the left side because, you know, I, you got to see Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. Joe Alt is just an enormous human. I mean, I took a picture of, and I tweeted it out, Ryan Harris, who I've gotten to know a little bit over the years. Uh, of course, he's the sideline or uh, analyst for uh, the radio broadcast for Notre Dame, and he was talking with Blake Fisher and Joe Alt pregame and it was a kind of a cool moment to see, right, where you've got a Super Bowl champion, you know, one of the one of the greats from Notre Dame and their offensive line. And I wouldn't say Joe Alt towered over him, but Joe Alt was definitely the bigger dude. And I was like, whoa, okay, you know, Joe Alt, Joe Alt's gonna fit in just fine uh, in the NFL, no doubt. Uh, just just looking at his stature. Were there any specific players, individual performances that really impressed you uh, outside of Jagasaw? Yeah, I mean, Jagasaw, I would just say physically, you were like, that guy can be a left tackle. Just seeing him, he he looks like, okay, that dude belongs. 
I mean, look, man, seeing Jordan Faison up post and personal, that dude is shifty. That dude is quick. And, uh, you know, I was I was pretty close to his touchdown where he, you know, cuts out, cuts right back in. And yeah, perfect he route. Just, he just seems like the type of guy, especially in college, that's like those are one of those those types of players, as we saw as the year went on. And uh, I joked with a couple beat reporters. I'm like, yeah, what point does Marcus go to uh, to the to the lacrosse coach and just kind of put his arm around him and say, yeah, he's he's not playing lacrosse anymore. So um, maybe he lets him play this year. But uh, I was really impressed by him and just his sheer speed, like his uh, the big play down the field, down the sideline uh, was really impressive. Look, I got to give a lot of credit to Steve Angeli, man, like seeing him up close and personal. Um, he throws a really good ball. Um, you know, he's physical. I was right there, uh, when he made the, uh, the leap. And I, it was funny because Audric Estime was probably, I don't know, about maybe 10 yards from me when he made that leap. And I tried to catch if Audric Estime was going to have any sort of reaction to Angeli trying to pull a, an Audric Estime there. Um, but you know, Faison and, 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 uh, Angeli definitely were, impressive i saw jeremiah loves touchdown and up, up close uh that was you know that was pretty pretty unique to see him kind of bounce off a couple more people i was expecting and look it's one bowl game uh but i really thought jeremiah love was gonna kind of have some explosive runs and i thought oregon state did a pretty decent job of bottling him up uh i thought you're gonna see more explosiveness from him um just like hitting holes like we had seen during the regular season and then lastly there was a moment i think they tried to throw a fade to Jaden Thomas, and uh, it, it sailed over his head. I think in the first quarter, but Jaden Thomas is a thick, big dude, man. That is a that's a big boy, and uh, you could see just how different he was. I told the guys on the broadcast, you know, we were having breakfast. I'm like, Jaden Thomas is healthy. I think he's gonna have a pretty big game, and and ultimately, especially in the first half, you could see early on uh, that Angeli was targeting Jaden Thomas. So, you know, I I think people forget. At Jaden Thomas, you know, what, three of his first four games, Tyler, he had four catches for over 60 yards, and then the hamstring just kind of derailed the whole season. So I think that there should be some excitement for the wide receiver room moving forward with Faison, uh, with Thomas, and then, you know, some of the new guys coming in. Yeah, I will say it was a little bittersweet watching Thomas play as well as he did because yeah. it was encouraging, especially as we start to look ahead to next season and think about, man, like, that's what we could have had all season. But then it was like, damn, like imagine if Hartman had Thomas uh, against Louisville or against Clemson um, at full health because clearly, and that it started in the spring game, really. They had a really good connection, and that was evident early on, and then he gets hurt, and his whole season uh, was pretty much derailed. But still, it's, it's encouraging to see him uh, have some success before the season ends, and um, I think he'll be in a great spot next year, even if he doesn't even have to be wide receiver one. That might even be the best yeah. case for Notre Dame if he's just a uh, really good wide receiver number two. But how would you describe the mood for the team afterward? Like, obviously, it's not the euphoric experience that would come with winning a playoff game, but it seemed like everyone on the team was genuinely happy to be there, and they celebrated accordingly. Yeah, no, they they were fired up. I mean. And, uh, you know, I, I interviewed J.D. Bertrand after the game. And really, I mean, it wasn't like he had a big game, but I think it was – I knew it was important to talk, to capture him, um, you know, being the only captain who played in the game. Um, and, you know, for him to, to talk and talk about, you know, just finishing the process, finishing the year. But there was – yeah, there was definitely a lot of excitement there, um, you know, to wrap up the season in the way that they did with – 
you know, what, three straight blowout victories off of the Clemson uh, debacle. And uh, but, yeah, I, I would say there was there was some real excitement um, from from the younger players. And, you know, I, I wasn't I know the video kind of went around um, that Notre Dame put out. But when Kettering scored that touchdown, I mean, it was pretty cool. Right. I mean, to see a guy, a walk on get into the end zone and they started to bring in the walk-ons there to kind of do, you know, some runs uh, and then Kettering ultimately gets into the end zone. Like you could see that that's what bowl games are about. Um, you know, they took care of business and, you know, and, and, and you watched, you know, defensively, right. You see moments where, you know, JD Bertrand's out there and they brought in Drake Bowen and you, you bring in some of the younger guys to, to play one last, you know, go round with, with JD Bertrand, who's, you know, given his heart and soul to the university. So, yeah, I think, you know, I don't want to say euphoria uh, wouldn't be a way to put it, but certainly some excitement. Um, they, they were fired up, you know, being on that, on the stage. And, and uh, you know, you, you saw the guys kind of messing around in the frosted flakes that got dumped on uh, on Marcus. So, yeah, I mean, definitely excitement uh, from the younger guys, no doubt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, overall, pretty, pretty happy uh, about about the the way they played that game. Yeah, and it's great. It's a great way to end it. Um, it's been a roller coaster season. Definitely some highs, definitely some lows. But to finish the way that they did coming off that Clemson game, getting that tenth win, clearly meant a lot to Marcus Freeman, meant a lot to yep. the staff, meant a lot to the players. So I feel like Notre Dame is certainly trending in a positive direction going into the next season, and that's not even including all the good stuff we've heard off the field, like. Uh, the signing of Mike Denbrock. It looks like Al Golden is um, near or he's close to signing an extension that would certainly position Notre Dame well going forward. They add a guy like Riley Leonard. The schedule is favorable. So as we start to look ahead to 2024, the momentum that Notre Dame has right now, um, a lot of people have said it's college football playoff or bust for Notre Dame next year. I might go as far to say as it's win a game in the CFP or bust. Uh, I, I think that the expectation should be to go 11-1, and one, maybe even go undefeated, even though that seems like a lot right now. We don't know how the schedule is going to turn out. But I feel like expectations are going to be higher than they've been in a really long time for Notre Dame going into next year. And uh, it's exciting because even though that comes with a lot of pressure, uh, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. No, and I, I think it is. I mean, I think moving forward, unless it's a really young team, it's going to be um, basically – playoff or bust nowadays with the 12 team playoff, you know, and I don't know if they were to go to a, a Sun Bowl equivalent moving forward at, at, in a season, you know, it's going to be even more, in my opinion, uh, deflating, uh, so to speak. But, um, you know, I, one thing I was thinking about today a little bit was, you know, in 2022, uh, Marcus's first year, they had a lot of these close games. They didn't cover. It was kind of uncomfortable. Obviously, the Marshall and Stanford game. And while Notre Dame obviously failed to get the win against Louisville, uh, played really poorly against Clemson in the Ohio State game, there was some encouragement in this regard where, you know, if you look at the games they were supposed to win, they really dominated all of those, you know. And Duke was you know, a close game, obviously, but that's uh, at the time was a full strength Duke team of the top twenty teams. So, you know, Marcus, as we all have learned, is is learning on the job. Um, he, this is his, as as we all know, his first go round. And I think this is going to be the year, year three, um, fair or not, year three for Lou Holtz led to a national title. Year for three for Brian Kelly. 
uh, led to an appearance in the national title. And, you know, the good coaches at Notre Dame, year three is a big year. And I think with how the past month has unfolded, where it looked like early December, Tyler, we might have been writing the what went wrong. It uh, feels like right now after the Sun Bowl, kind of putting the cherry on top of Riley Leonard uh, going out and getting uh, a pair of wide receivers immediately, you know, getting Mike Denbrock back from LSU. Um, you know, it, it is now like, okay, it's gearing up to be game on and for, for this program to head into the college football playoff era uh, moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, this is the first year I think there are real expectations. You know, people might say, oh, there, there were expectations last year. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think the expectation was, can they beat Ohio State? Um, obviously, they didn't get that done. But, um, you know, I, I went back and I read my preseason prediction and uh, uh, for VEASAN, and I, I wrote, they're going to go one and two against the big three, and they're going to lose a game they're not supposed to, uh, you know, they're, they're going to lose to Duke or Louisville or something like that. And it all played out that way, but it came away with a sour taste in your mouth because Clemson was down and, the Louisville game was as ugly as it was, but you know, all in all, you know, I think Notre Dame season kind of went as I expected. Um, and uh, now I think next year, the expectations are going to be game on for, for Marcus Freeman and for them to get into the playoff. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I can't wait. Now, before we let you go, let's finish where we started. Can I get <laughs> your pick for the national championship game? Uh, even though we're still just under a week out. I'm going to go Michigan. Um, I'm going to go Michigan, and I'll say uh, it is going to be Michigan 27, uh, Washington 21. Uh, I'll say it's a little lower scoring than expected, um, but I think Michigan's defense can can ratchet it up, get enough pressure on Penix. And uh, I do wonder, I mean, Penix was flawless in the semifinal. Is he going to be continue that, or is he going to see some – uh, you know, uh, speed bumps. So I think Michigan wins it, um, and I think they they slightly cover as well. So I'm gonna go Wolverines by six. It's a good pick, but I just I cannot do it. I can't go <laughs> out there and pick Michigan and have any sort of rooting allegiance to the Wolverines. But Tim, you know how much I appreciate it. Whenever you get to come on, uh, you can listen to Tim from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday on VEASAN Primetime. You can check out his college football betting podcast. And, uh, Tim, let's do it again soon, man. This has been a lot of fun. Sounds good, Tyler. Appreciate it, man. That's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making Locked on Irish your first listen of the day. I will be back with another episode tomorrow morning, and then I'll also be doing a mailbag episode on Friday. And this one has a theme. What are your biggest questions about the Notre Dame football program you want to see answered before the start of the 2024 season? Send them my way on X at Locked on Irish or on Instagram at Locked on Irish pod, and I'll talk about it on Friday's show. Also, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. I'll see you guys tomorrow.